Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the National Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we're offering five conversations from episode 60. Our special coverage of Madrigal Pharmaceuticals' release of Maestro Nash Phase 3 data originally posted this past Wednesday. This conversation continues with a larger group and starts with Jorn Schottenberg asking the impact that the use of a broad set of NITs in this study will have on NIT adoption and its use in clinical patient treatment, not just clinical trials. Mazen Nouradine points out how much use of NITs in clinical trials can reduce recruitment time and costs associated with those trials. Scott Friedman points out that as we strive to learn how to identify drug failures better and faster, FDA might require broad NIT use in clinical trials as part of that effort. At this point, Rachel's eyes and Scott Friedman jump in to address some more basic scientific questions. Rachel asks whether there's a synergistic effect between LDL lowering and the primary endpoints in these trials, and if so, what that would mean for the disease, well, or if not, what that would mean for the disease as well. Scott asks what these results tell us on two fronts. First, what does it tell us about the ability of fat lowering through breast fibrosis if THR-beta has no direct antifibrotic effect, but proves regression of fibrosis comparable to its effect on steatosis. Second, what about this drug converts fat lowering into fibrosis regression when other drugs that can lower fat and maintain lower fat levels do not demonstrate such rapid antifibrotic effects? After more comments about the science of the trial, Mike Patel asks how quickly focus will shift from monotherapy to combination therapy, given how many patients did not succeed with resmeterom as monotherapy. Mazda notes that other therapies were administered to patients in this trial. And as the conversation ends, Louise Campbell asks about semaglutide design and how it relates to this trial. And Mazin discusses both benefits and further trial opportunities for semaglutide. Here in Nashville, where we all live, the world changed for good on Monday. This is a quick take on some of what that change might look like. It will be interesting in years ahead to look back on this conversation to see what we got right and wrong. And you get a sneak peek right now. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn. And when you're done, join the conversation in our LinkedIn discussion group. Jörn Schattenberg. What does this trial mean for NITs? Because it's particularly rich in non-invasive tests and we're seeing response and the question came up, who does respond? So, you know, the, the take on, we're, we're going to see a lot of compendium diagnostics, I think, here, which might be uh, qualified, hopefully. Mazen Nuruddin. Yeah, but if you remember a lot of, you know, the GLP-1 data, they, they do studies on multiple uh, populations, as you said. Some of them, like, they, they don't have cardiovascular risk factors to start with and they see if there are any effects. And some of them, they do, did have cardiovascular comorbidities and if they see if there's any effect. So your point is well taken, actually. Uh, I do wonder if we'll see anything, but it, it's just encouraging to see such a data. And if there's a signal at the end of like four or five years, uh, I'll be very excited about it. And once we get through the liver biopsy, we can do five to 10,000 uh, cohort data and look at MACE and non-MACE and the points that you that we wish. Scott Friedman. It may well be that the FDA at some point will require them because uh, I mentioned, nobody wants the patient to remain on a drug that isn't working. Most of all, the patients, but also the payers. So a lot to be learned still. Rachel Zayas. Well, this this might be a good transition for Scott, because one thing I found of particular interest for me is the, in addition to the primary endpoints, the secondary endpoint with the lowering of LDL um, cholesterol. And it really begs the question if the patients who had uh, hit the primary endpoint, what percent of them specifically had uh, the secondary endpoint as well? And it begs the question, is this a synergistic effect? And what other secondary endpoints should we be monitoring and assessing? So I know that this was top-line data, but 
it, I'm really interested to see what comes out of this from from that perspective. So, uh, in addition to all the you know exciting implications we've talked about on the clinical side, for me, it's very interesting in terms of the mechanism of action of this drug because one of the unanswered questions is: uh, Is lowering fat alone good enough? Number one. And I mean good enough to reduce fibrosis and get hard endpoints. And number two, does it matter how you lower fat? Uh, And the answer to number one, of course, still is not completely known, but it, it moves us towards a conclusion that reducing fat may be a good thing. I say that because, to my knowledge, the drug has no direct antifibrotic effect. Um, and so uh, any benefit in fibrosis and NASH resolution was largely, if not exclusively, based on its metabolic impact on hepatocytes and the reduction in the signals that drive inflammation and, and fibrosis. Uh, so I, I think, um, you know, clearly more studies to be done. With regard to the second question, I actually still would not assume that however you, what, that any way you lower fat is the same. Um, because, you know, there are drugs that lower fat that probably are not going to be as effective, even though the net net result of them is that the fat lowering is consistent. So um, it may well be that lowering fat is necessary but not sufficient. You have to lower fat and create the right metabolic milieu or reduce the the production of molecules that drive inflammation and fibrosis, and that may not be true from every mechanism in which fat is reduced. So again, you know, lots of scientific questions here to, to tackle as well. And the critics to have approved as just uh, to the approach, as, as Scott has said, was, uh, always said, you know, it's it's not enough to improve lipids. Um, statins do that, no effect. And 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 here we are today, uh, seeing uh, Nash resolution and fibrosis regression. So um, I echo St- uh, Scott's comment. We 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 want to drill down on on the link of, and I think there are a lot of links in the literature: lipotoxicity, activation of stellate cells, and 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 all the work um, uh, Scott's been doing over the years so it, it seems to read out in a, in a you know rough uh, um, clinical trial so that, that is fascinating and also well, along the way uh, when their phase two study came out they did not meet fibrosis improvement and obviously the study was not powered to do so but along the road we started seeing nits from their other master NAFL data and others showing that the stiffness measurements are improving. MRE was one of them, MAST was one of them, transcellulostography was one of them. So it's really good here to see uh, that the NIT started predicting all along that fibrosis improvement prior to have adequately powered study. Just adding to the evidence that NITs biologically make a lot of sense because they represent a physiological process. Yeah, speaking of drilling down, one other implication of this is to go back, and we all agree we should move past biopsy, but for as long as we have biopsy, let's start applying uh, or expanding our efforts to apply digital pathology and artificial intelligence to see if there are patterns or subtle changes that were unmistakably present in the responders early on or uh, that there are other features that both give us a hint into new biology, but also uh, define elements of the biopsy that may be more subtle than what pathologists can identify uh, in further classifying or refining our 
assessment of the disease histologically. I mean, there's no question in my mind that, that any of the digital methods that are currently being developed are far more sensitive and informative than what a pathologist can tell us. So two things on that. First of all, spoiler alert, Stephen, when talking about what's going to be presented at NASHTAG, talked about at least one presentation that will demonstrate for one drug the ability to use real simple liquid CBC level metrics to tell you relatively quickly quick, quickly whether, whether that one drug is working or not. So I totally agree with Scott. We, we need to be able to figure out faster what doesn't work. Some of that might be very complex. Some of it might be simpler than we'd ever imagine. But yeah, it's something we need to get after immediately. And speaking of simple, I thought the most interesting thing about selecting LDL out of all the secondary endpoints to be the one to focus on today had nothing to do with anything we're talking about right now, but had to do with messaging the investment community that if the problems with OCA were pruritus and LDL, there's no pruritus here. And LDL, in fact, was a positive, not a negative. So going back not to the science of it, but to all the directions in which this message is out, I thought that was a really interesting decision. And by the way, the fact that we are now spending so much time talking about LDL makes that decision look really good because it integrates it into how people think about the profile of the drug. And I think that's a big step forward for how we broadly conceptualize what we can expect to see with drugs in this class. It's it's really interesting, all the different levels on which this stuff operates. Yeah, the comparison with HCC is interesting, but I think as Mazen mentioned before, we have to remind that this is not going to be standard of care until we have full approval. So that's, I think, uh, in in the way you design your trials. Of course, you want to think about, if you start now, uh, um, when are you going to be um, reporting out and what's that going to mean? But for all the ongoing trials and, and, and also the second thing, as, as Scott mentioned rightfully, uh, you got to show efficacy for each drug explored in a combination in monotherapy versus placebo. Um, so there will be more monotherapy, I, I think. I, Mike Bartel. I have a question for the group just wondering as we look forward now. So now there's a new bar. And we talked about that 26% wasn't really there yet. So do you think that combo therapy is going to be the next one before another monotherapy comes out that's better? I think the, the example we can look to is actually um, from the liver cancer or the cancer community, uh, where a drug is approved, then it's compared to, for non-inferiority to a second drug. Uh, at the same time, the next generation is take the first drug that's effective and add on a new drug with a divergent or complementary mechanism. And uh, I would imagine we're not done with phase, you know, with um, uh, single drug therapies at all. But I, it's almost inevitable that given the uh, response rate of 24% that we're going to be rapidly, and I'm sure... More than anyone, uh, Madrigal will be very interested in amping up the effectiveness of their drug by adding a second agent. I'm sure there'll be a lot of computers who are pitching for that role. Yeah, that does not preclude uh, the company, as Scott suggested, from looking uh, for a combination for added therapy because they're expected to be approved and they just want to build on that momentum uh, and keep going. Um, he's right. I think they, they will be multiple drugs tested to see if they're efficacious before they started to be added on to uh, resmitarone. But if I'm resmitarone I, I, or Medrigal, I will probably now look into combining with a GLP-1, uh, combining with SGL2s. Um, I also want to remind the uh, listeners that there were actually people on GLP-1 in, in, in this study. There were Yes, about 14 to 15% and so as SGL2. So the, the resmitarum seems to add to that. 
in such a group, unless, or, or probably not. We need to see the analysis, but still used, yes. Uh, but it will be, it will, I think even the sub-analysis will be interesting, but probably not enough numbers. But eventually, I, I would love to see it with systemic drugs or systemic drugs with an effect on the uh, liver, such as the dual GLP glucagons uh, and adding presbyterol, because you want to think about it as the first approved or one of the two first approved therapies uh, for NASH. Louise Campbell. Can I ask, In and I know hindsight is a beautiful thing, Novo Nordisk and semaglutide, obviously approved in diabetes and obesity uh, medicine. Did they miss a trick? by actually not really using non-invasive technologies for their liver health, given the high-risk populations that they used, and liraglutide, where they could have been collecting data for these studies? Or is it something that they could do protocol deviations for now, or protocol amendments, not deviations, to put into a phase, a later phase study within the populations that they've got? Because obviously it's going through the NASH, but obviously there's NAFLD populations that they're treating who would have had NASH. And the, what the recent semaglutide patients that I've seen have all got perfectly healthy livers on FibroScan. And I know that's only one assessment. I think they have a transhenolistography and uh, in, in their study, not in the entire population. Uh, at the end of the day, they, they are getting NASH patients with biopsy-proven uh, fibrosis. So I, I would say I would love to have more NITs, not just because I'm an IT person and I like NITs. I would like eventually to see a treatment response and uh, pushing the field uh, forward, but semaglutide has incredible efficacy as well as systemic effects and incredible advantage. To answer your question, maybe having more NITs is, is, is better, but are there disadvantage? I don't think so. It's a very efficacious drug. I, I would love as, as, as a doctor and some patient advocate, I would love to see semaglutide with resmeterone combined. They will be, before people starting doing big phase twos and phase threes, uh, there are investigator-initiated studies and smaller studies proof of concept. So hopefully the, the small parties of combo drugs uh, or small study investigator-initiated study few centers uh, will start occurring in, 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 in this space. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We will be back next week with the rest of our year-end reviews. Two episodes that include conversations with Mazen Yaradin, Ken Cousy, Jeff Lazarus, Stephen Harrison, Naim Al-Khoury, and Ian Rowe. You'll want to hear all of it. Until then, wishing all of you a wonderful holiday season and best wishes for a fantastic 2023. Stay safe, surf on. We'll see you next year on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.